are you ready for some Hebrews? I was thinking, man, we got to have like a coffee shop or something. Hebrews. That's it. That's the only joke I have. Good night. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1. Again, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get you one. God, at various times in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word and his power when he himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that wonderful? Now listen, not to put down anything of Chronicles, right? But isn't that wonderful, a little refreshing tonight to hear that? We're back into Jesus now. Not that the Chronicles don't point. All of God's word points to Jesus. But man, the writer of the Hebrews knocks it out of the park. Now, this is going to be an intro. If you've never been through an intro here at Calvary, it's kind of uh, usually lengthy to get us going into the context, the writer, the why of this book. Amen? Uh, I was listening to Joe Foch. Uh, today, and he was uh, mentioning Hebrews 1, and he goes, I don't know about you, but in my Bible, it says Paul the Apostle wrote Hebrews. He goes, that settles it. It's in my Bible. (laughs) Now, we could have a debate, which I don't want to have a debate, and the debate has been going on for the last 2,000 years. Who is the writer of Hebrews? I actually believe that it is Paul the Apostle, and I can set up uh, some ideas of the why, and I will talk about the why in a minute. And this, the first point is, if you're a guy like Paul the Apostle is, who is hated by the entire Jewish establishment, would you put your name on a book that is writing to that establishment? What happens when you read something or, you, you know, you're looking at uh, some article and it's somebody that you don't like? Do you read it? You're in church. No. Do you see the point? So if Paul is trying to accomplish something in this group of people, why would he turn them off right away? Because you don't put your name at the end of a letter in these days. It's at the very beginning. So he wants to establish something in them. He wants to talk about this, that Jesus is better. This is going to be the theme through The book of Hebrews, Jesus is better. Now, look, I don't want to talk about the writer from this point on. I will say Paul the apostle. Sometimes I say the writer. I will say, Paul, don't send me letters of some long discourse of why it was Barnabas or Apollos or any of the other guys that they thought it was. Paul said that he would go to hell if his brethren, the Jews, would come into a relationship with with God. That's pretty strong. And you're going to see the heart of somebody who came out of a, re- a religious system like Paul, and now he is warning those not to get back or sucked back. So let's dive into this. And again, 
I don't apologize for my intro, but this one is a little bit long tonight. In a general way, Hebrews deals with the tremendous struggles involved with leaving one religious system for another. Now, when I say that, I'm using that in terms that we can understand. We know that Christianity is not a religious system. It is a relationship. Everybody got that? But to set this foundation, think about coming out of one religious system into another religious system. Got that? That's what this writer is doing. Inside of that, would you do that? There is a violent retching of old ties the stresses and the tensions and the alienations, as we will see, the pressures that come from leaving that. Maybe you have come out of an establishment religion, and now you've come into Calvary or, or some other denomination, and you too can identify with those who came out of Judaism. That strong mom, that strong relative, that guilts you when you talk to them. See, Paul knew what it was like to lay it aside. Paul was part of this Sanhedrin. He knew what he had laid aside. And it was those Saturday evening meals with the family. In this epistle, the problem was not just the question of leaving an old system for a new one of equal value. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. In this epistle, the problem was not the, uh, of leaving one old system for a new one of equal value. Rather, it was a matter of leaving Judaism for Christ. You're not going to a new religion. You're going to a person. Look at the wall. Jesus is better. I'm going to say that a million times through this letter. They're not going to a new uh, religious system. They're going to Messiah. And as the writer shows, this involves, as we will dive through this, leaving shadows for the substance, ritual for the reality, the prior for the ultimate, the temporary for the permanent. In short, the good for the best. And the writer is going to make these con contrasts all the way through. The problem also involved leaving the popular for the unpopular. Guys, we live in the United States of America still. I think that's what it was called, Matt, a couple hours ago. Right? And we take for granted this Christian nation. We do. You all do, I do, we take it for granted that we are not persecuted yet. But we take that for granted. So sometimes, and I think this has been the misconception of the book of Hebrews for 2,000 years. I will tell you there are those, and I won't mention them, that didn't even want them in their own Bible. They didn't think Hebrews belonged in the Bible. Because I, I feel like they missed this idea of going from the popular to the unpopular. For the most part, this is kind of popular, okay? Oh, yeah, it's waning. But we don't know what it's like to go from the popular to the unpopular <laughs> unless you came from an establishment church and you've come to Calvary Chapel, who so many have talked about us as a cult. <laughs> 
I remember the first time when I was doing overseas uh, missions work, going into Austria and feeling just this dark oppression upon the nation. And in Austria, the government of Austria labels Calvary Chapel as a cult. That was the first time I've ever experienced that before. Coming from America, you're like, well, yeah, but what was it like to leave the popular for the unpopular? From the majority to the minority. How about from the oppressors to, the, to being oppressed? And this caused a lot of problems. The letter was written to the people with Jewish background. And again, one of the problems that I've seen that the church had is forgetting that it is not, and we're going to get to this, this is not a book to Gentiles. This is a book to Hebrews. Why is Matthew so different than Luke? Because Matthew is written from a Jewish perspective. Luke is written from a Greek perspective. Hebrews is not that book. It's an important book for the church, but we need to remember the context of it. Remember, these Hebrews had heard the gospel preached by the apostles and others during the early days of the church and had seen the mighty miracles of the Holy Spirit, which was confirmed by this message. Uh, in my devotion time with my family in the morning, we're going through Acts, and Paul the apostle, or, or, <laughs> Peter the apostle is just telling them, what had happened on the day of Pentecost. And he goes, men and brethren, it's 9 a.m. We're not drinking. This is the Holy Spirit. 5,000 people got saved in one day. So these Hebrews had seen the mighty miracles of the Holy Spirit, and it was confirmed. The man healed at the temple in Acts 4. All the... Don't you love that version? Everyone knew who this guy was. He had been there for 40 years. Everybody knew Bob the lame guy. And so when he is healed, they cannot deny the power that had happened. They didn't know what to attribute it to, but they could not deny that God was at work. Now, when the Jew left the faith of his forefathers, he was looked on as a turncoat, an apostate, and was often punished with one or more of the following. Now, if you've come out of a religion, a religious group, maybe you can identify with some of these. A disinheritance by his family. Excommunication by the congregation of Israel. Loss of employment. What was it like to be a believer and all of the jobs when you went to apply said no Christians should apply? Only Hebrews, only Jews. What would that be like? Well, we might soon find out. How about mental harassment and physical torture from family and friends? Oh, I dare not tread in these waters, but I just saw an article that said uh, more kids today are turning in their parents online on their political views than in other, any other time in American history. 
which means a kid that has been governmentally programmed by the propaganda, are turning in their parents simply because their parents voted one way. And if you don't believe me, the Democrat Party just vetted the National Guard. Do you think I'm a conspiracy kook? They say it themselves. Can you imagine what it was like to be a Hebrew, a Jew, and came to Christ, and then your cousin, your son, your daughter turns you in to the Sanhedrin? That's what they went through. Not only that, how about public mockery, imprisonment, and then later on martyrdom by the very guy who is writing this letter, Saul of Tarsus. It's heavy duty, isn't it? Of course, there were also this idea that you could come back to Judaism, and they promoted this. Oh, that was just a fad. Maybe your family members thought, oh, you just played with Jesus in that cult Calvary for a while, but why don't you come back to the real church? Have you heard that before? And the Jews of this time, they promoted that. If you would just renounce Christ and return to Judaism, they would be spared further persecution, and that was real. As we read between the lines of these letters, we can detect some of the strong arguments used to persuade these men and women back to Judaism. They often would say, well, think about our rich heritage of the prophets. And think about this list. How can you deny what they say? Don't you hate this, that they have really good arguments? Anybody else? They got really good points. They talk about, as we will see in this chapter, the prominent ministry of angels in the history of God's people. The association with the great lawgiver, Moses. At the end of this, I'm going to say this. They're going to say to them, but what do you have? We don't have anybody great at this time. Do you see that? Not like Moses. Not like Abraham. Not like Elijah. Not like David. Do you see their argument? Why would you go to something like that? Why would you go to a carpenter from Galilee? Didn't one of Jesus' apostles say, what good could come out of Nazareth? How about the national ties with the great military commander Joshua or the Aaronic priesthood? As we go through this list, this is what the writer will address through the book of Hebrews as well. How about the, sake, the, the temple? Just the temple. What do you guys got? A room over the Kroger supermarket? We did. What are you guys meeting in a, in a warehouse? In an industrial part of Myrtle Beach? What are you, weirdos? You're supposed to have a steeple and stained glass, and an altar. Have you heard that? I have. You're not a real church. Unless you have pews, and somewhere where the kids can lay down and draw on the back of the tithe envelopes. You did it as a kid. So did I. <laughs> we got to put some humor in here, or we're all going to blow up. 
Again, that temple, man, that, that was hard to argue against. We got the temple. We don't. And not only that, but the high holidays. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Passover, unleavened bread, feast of weeks. What do you guys got? We can almost hear the first century Jews presenting all of the glories of the ancient ritualistic religion and then asking it with a sneer, and what do you Christians have? <laughs> um, nothing but an upper room and a table and some bread and wine. That's really all we got. What were they supposed to say in return? And as we will learn, Jesus is the answer. And he is the Christ, the Messiah. And in him we have, as the writer will tell us, one who is greater than the prophets, one who is greater than the angels tonight, one who is greater than Moses, one that is greater than Joshua, one is greater than the Aaronic priesthood, one that is better than the temple and the sanctuary, one that is better than all of the furniture and the veil, and one that is better than all of the feast because he fulfilled the feast. And tonight, as we will see, one who once and for all gave his life as an offering for many. Just as the stars fade from view in the greater glory of the sun, so the types and the shadows of Judaism pale in insignificance before the greater glory of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? I, in fact, love that Paul the Apostle says that the Old Testament was a shadow of what was to come. <laughs> Again, Jesus is the greater. Man, I wish some people in the church would hear that tonight, that the law is not what is great. Jesus is what is great. And if you think people today don't need Hebrews, I tell you they need it because there is a wave in the church that wants to go back to the former things, to the shadow, to the type. What is important? Jesus. Jesus is better. Yet there were still problems of persecution as the early church learned real quick. And those who professed to be followers of the Lord Jesus faced bitter fanatical opposition. <laughs> Case in point, Saul the Apostle, or Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and later on, Paul. For the true believer, this could lead them to a peril of discouragement and despair. Maybe they were thinking they made the wrong choice. Maybe this was wrong to go down this path. Guys, it is so easy to be a follower of Jesus today. It is simple. You don't, if you come up and accept prayer and you get saved, you're not immediately kicked out of your job and your family and anything else, maybe Facebook. 
It's different then. When you signed up with Jesus, you had a death warrant. We have no idea what that's like. They do in China. They do in Iran. We don't. And so it's very easy to come to Jesus today. I I often think in the United States of America, it would be good if there was a little bit more pressure because then we would know who is a follower of Christ. Much like the soldiers who used to, in communist uh, Russia, would find a Bible study and the soldiers would come in to break up the Bible study and they would point their rifles at the people in the Bible study and they would say, renounce Christ or die. And a couple of people would leave and the soldiers would close the door and put their rifles on the wall and say, let's get to the Bible study. You see, only then they knew who were the true followers of Christ. This isn't just some new app or some new fad. This is the life giver Jesus pouring into our life, as we will see tonight, dying and and purging our sins. And they knew that in this day. But the problem is when the persecution started, they started to doubt. And the writer is going to encourage them to stand up and continue in this new venture of faith. Their family and their friends were giving them pressure to leave Christ and go back to what the writer calls a shadow. Why would you listen to your family like that? You know, family is important, isn't it? But it's not as important as your internal state with Jesus. That's what's most important. Again, for those who were nominal Christians, there was a danger of apostasy or walking away. After professing to receive Christ, they might utterly renounce him and return to their old religion. This was tantamount to trampling on the Son of God and profaning His blood, as the writer says. Not only that, but insulting the Holy Spirit. And for this willful sin, there was no repentance, the writer will tell us. And against this sin, this repeated warning comes up in the the letter to the Hebrews. Listen to these warnings that we will get to. Hebrews 2, 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. The writer is telling us to be careful not to drift back to the former, not only religion, but our former life. In Hebrews 3, it talks about the sin of rebellion. I'm not going to read them all for our sake of time tonight. But in Hebrews 3, it talks about the sin of rebellion and of hardening of our hearts. We need a reminder inside of the church not to do that as well. Or in Hebrews 6, 6, the falling away, the committing of apostasy, the walking away from. Or Hebrews 10, the forsaking of the assembly together. The writer says, not coming together. Are you hearing this? Not you. You. YouTubers and everyone else that's closed. That is in violation to God's word. 
And I will not listen to man when he tells me to violate God's word. Listen. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Mark it, know it. Because you may have to give an account someday for that. Hebrews 10, verse 26 says, there is a willfulness in that. We have to be careful not to willfully fall away. Or Hebrews 12, 16 talks about selling one's birthright for a single meal. That we want safety above all else. We'll give away rights. The writer says, don't do that. Finally, Hebrews 12, 25 talks about a refusal to hear the one who is speaking from heaven. Is God speaking to you and you are not listening? Is he trying to get your attention? Is he trying to get the world's attention and the world keeps drowning out the life giver? All of these warnings are directed against different aspects of the same sin, and that is the sin of apostasy or walking away. And the message of the Hebrews is as timely as it is today as it was before 70 A.D. And so we need to be constantly reminded of the eternal privilege and blessing that are ours in Christ. We need encouragement to endure in spite of opposition and difficulties. Don't you think this is applicable today, Wednesday, January 20th, to continue on in 2021? Woo! Do we need encouragement? We need encouragement to endure in spite of the opposition and difficulties And all professing believers need to be warned against reverting to ceremonial religion or just going through the motions of church. And we can easily just go through the motions and go to church. The thing that was different about California versus here is if you were going to church in California, you were going to church because no one else did that. You come to the South, Everybody goes to church in the South. Well, at least when I moved here 19 years ago. Now it's getting a little different. It can be the same thing. And in the buckle of the Bible belt in South Carolina, we too can fall into the same pitfalls of those in organized religion. Guys, there is a difference between listening and hearing God. Jesus often said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This statement suggests that it takes more than just physical ears to hear the voice of God. It always requires a receptive heart. That's why when you come to church on Sunday and Wednesday, before you even hit the doors, Lord, would you open up my ears, my heart to what you would have me to know from your Holy Spirit today. Now, if you're taking note, this book was written before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And again, it is a book deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Hebrews has 29 quotations and 53 allusions to the Old Testament for a total of 82 references to the Old Testament. Hebrews is basically a book that exhorts discouraged Christians 
to continue on strong with Jesus in the light of complete superiority of who he is and what he has done for you. They are down, but not out. They have been persecuted. And the writer, Paul, tells us in verse 1, that's not bad of an intro, God. Don't you love the intro? God. What does that simple word tell us? What is Paul telling us? Well, there is no attempt to prove God's existence. It's simply a self-evident truth. God. Why? He's not writing to what group? He's writing to Jews who already know who God is. He doesn't have to lay out his argument of who God is. It is God. In the beginning, God. Did Moses have to lay out this idea that God exists? No. It was already a truth there. Again, Hebrews begins with the idea basic to the Bible that, number one, God exists, and he speaks to mankind. Or as the title of Francis Schaeffer's book, he is there and he is not silent. Since this writer is writing to those who understand there is a God, and he doesn't need to persuade them like the book of Revelation, as we will see in a couple of months, it is a book for the church and not for the world. Now, All of God's word can be used evangelistically, but that's not what this writer is writing to. He's not writing to a group of unbelievers. He's already writing to a group that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He already knows that they know who God is. And so in verse 1, it says that God spoke in a lot of different ways. That's what he tells us in verse 1. God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. But has in these last days spoken to us, circle the word, underline it, by his son. And his is in italics, so it simply means by son. Which means, hear me, all of the Old Testament, The prophets, God spoke to us in that way. And now in these days, it is only Jesus. Now, he's going to mention angels in this chapter, that Jesus is better than angels. And I want to make this point because Joseph Smith should have heeded the words of this chapter. Why? Because the final revelation to mankind has come through the Son and not an angel. Amen? Saved us, there would have been no Salt Lake City. But do you see, by simply going to the Bible, it's all revealed to us. In these last days is spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of how many things? Man, Jesus has got the keys to everything. We have a master key at the church, and not everybody gets the master key. If you get the master key, you're kind of something special. (laughs) But the master key opens up every single door. 
Jesus has the master key. Everything is in his hands. Not only that, through whom he also made the worlds. Which means in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, this is the son who is declaring that Jesus is the creator in Genesis. He is the spoken word of the Trinity. It is in him he has made all things. Who? (laughs) Being in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself didn't need us can't work your way to God by himself didn't need any of our help purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high now notice this in verse 3 and we're not going to do a whole lot of Greek and this is the word because I don't want that kind of study through Hebrews I want us to go through it that we're kind of skimming it lightly and then every once in a while we'll, we'll kind of look at some deeper things. Because there's a lot in here. Anyone else read ahead? What's the order of Melchizedek? Wait till we get to that one. But notice that he says that he is the expressed image. Do you know what that means? It's like a stamp. It's an exact, let me read the definition the exact expression, the image of any person or thing marked or likeness in a precise reproduction in every aspect. That means the son is the exact, what did Jesus say? When you see me, you've seen the, pretty clear, isn't it? Philip says, Jesus, let us see the father. And he goes, oh, hey, Philip, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen dad. You've seen the Father. His expressed image and his person. Please note with me, it says, by the way, these three verses, we could spend just a whole message on it. I don't want to do that. I want to get through the chapter. And so it'll be about 10 tonight. Notice it says that he holds all things. How many scientists do we have in the room? Anybody that's an actual bona fide not like me, a poser. <laughs> Listen, science doesn't understand why the electrons and the protons are holded together. Did I say holded together? That's why I'm not a professor. <laughs> right there. You're out of here, buddy. Jesus holds that which science cannot figure out why they are held together. Can I blow your mind? Jesus held the molecules inside of those Roman nails together. He held the the, the molecules inside of that nail. The wood kept it together. Blow your mind? How about the spit that was upon him from people walking? The restraint that Jesus held that just that one day, let alone all the other days when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came against him. The amazing love that God had and still has by upholding all things by the word of his power. That's why when Jesus comes the second time, not the rapture at the end, when you and I are riding horses, we'll get to that later in Revelation. Lord willing, 
that it says he just says a word like go and everything melts with a fervent heat because he is holding all things together. We don't learn that except right here. And then it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down. Now, he's going to make these arguments, and that's why I made this list, that Jesus is better than the angels, Jesus is better than the Aaronic priesthood. Do you know that the priest didn't have any chairs inside of the temple? Because their job was never finished. They never had downtime like we would know. So when it says that he sits down, that means it's done. To tell us die, it is finished. There's no more work. And especially on our part, there is nothing that we can do. Notice at the right hand, and the right hand is always the preferred side in antiquity of the majesty on high. Verse 4 gets into his first argument. And I want you to note this, underline this, because it will happen some 12 times through this book, having become so much better. That's Paul's argument, that Jesus is better than anything that the old system had, so why go back to the old system? It makes no sense to go back to the shadow when you've got the reality standing in front of you. So he says, having become better than the angels, he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, Paul builds on that argument, and he's going to tell us of which of the angels has God did this for. And his point is, in Judaism, in Jesus' day, they held angels to a high esteem. Esteem. And nothing necessarily wrong with that, but a little bit too much. It's kind of like how some inside of the church. Remember the 80s? Anybody remember the 80s? And the, some of you remember the 80s? And I won't, won't even get into the hair of the 80s. But in the 80s, a little bit of 90s, there was such this angel craze. Everybody was into angels. There was even touched by an angel show. See, you do remember. (laughs) And they looked at angels in a way that they shouldn't look. So to us. We're going to see at the end, they have a job, they have a role. Uh, It's to minister. But it's not for us to elevate. Amen? And I don't mean to say it this way. But let's just get the religious imagery off our walls. You got no place for it. Don't send me a letter tomorrow. Verse 5. And now he builds his argument. To which of the angels did he ever say? Now notice all the capitals. Do you have a version that these are capitals? That's in the New Testament describing what is going on in the Old Testament. These are quotes. When you see capitals like that, it's going back to the Old Testament. And he says, which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him like a father, and he shall be to me like a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Did we not see that in our wonderful play on Christmas Eve, 
All of the kids dressed up in their angel garb, what are they saying? Glory to God in the highest and peace, goodwill towards men. No one is worshiping the angels. They are praising Jesus being born on planet earth. And the angels, he said, who makes the angels spirits and his ministers of the flame of fire? We'll get into that at the end here. But listen, I I have a good, healthy respect of the angels. And by the way, we only have two named in the Bible. Now, this should be kind of easy. If there's only two, we should get them. Michael, thank you. Gabriel, apparently in charge of all birth announcements. Michael, it says, is Michael the archangel, which leads us to believe that he's probably numero uno when it comes to angels. Then we've got seraphim, right? We've got a, we got levels of angels. Satan is in there somewhere. <laughs> Worship leader. But he says that these angels were ministers. They have a specific role, and we'll get to that at the end here. He says, but to the Son, he said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. The point is, he never said that to an angel. Uh, Or you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Or, verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands and they will perish but you will remain they will grow old like a garment and like a cloak you will fold them up do you see how easy god is going to just this whole earth is going away that's why to live like abraham a pilgrim and a sojourner is such a wise thing he continues and They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand till I make my enemies your footstool? Do you see the comparison of what the writer is doing, what Paul is doing? He's saying, you guys believe this in angels, and what I'm telling you is that Jesus is better than that. Then he's going to tell us that Jesus is better than the priesthood, and he's going to lay all of that out. And in the last verse, and I, I am thankful that we've, we got to the last verse tonight. And are they not, speaking of angels, ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? And the Bible seems to, not concrete proof, but per, pretty good, that the, the angels are there to not only to minister to us, but also for a protection. I mean, we could have a little testimony party of how many of you, maybe as a kid, were about to go get a ball and something grabbed you and you didn't know what it was or pulled you back and a car went by and you were going to be squashed like a grape, but something protected you. Or that ministering angel put that slow tourist right in front of you 
And you knew that if you were going the same speed that you were going through, that guy was going to blow through that red light and you were going to heaven immediately. But you weren't done yet. These ministering spirits, what God has allowed to come in to our life as a ministering spirit, and they are not equal to Jesus. In fact, let's read a couple of verses in the chapter 2, and then we'll come back next week, and we'll, we'll revisit them. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest we, lest we drift away. His point is, you guys are focusing on the temple, on tradition, on the holidays, on angels, on the priesthood. And I'm telling you that what you are about to go back to is a shadow and a type, and you've got the real thing. Man, what, what would it be like if you came home every night and you talked to your wife's photo instead of her? But it's, it's, she's right there. Well, no, she's actually right over there. And so the writer is trying to get their attention. He's trying to encourage them. Listen, therefore we must give them more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we drift away. We need to heed Paul's encouragement to us. And as the church, always be reminded that there are people coming out of religion coming out of religious organizations, we have them, guys. We have mainline denominations. We have the Roman Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, these state churches that used to be dominant uh, for a long time. And what was it like to come out of that? Well, the if that's you, <laughs> this is a great book for you. It's a great book of encouragement for us in a low time in the church history for them, and hopefully for us, a great encouragement as we work through the book of Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for your servant, Paul, if, Lord, truly he did write this. And again, it doesn't matter who wrote it. But we thank the Holy Spirit who gave it to the heart of the one who wrote it down. We thank you, Lord, that you are better than anything in religion. Lord, and it's, it's difficult for people to understand that you are better than family and tradition and temples and pews and steeples and stained glass, all the things that they may have grown up with. And they come in here and they, they don't see that. They can't identify. And they think that those things are needed to have a relationship with you, and they're just things. You are the image, the expressed image of the Father. You are the reality. Lord, let us not get bogged down in tradition and in the shadows, the types. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight.
We thank you for this book. We thank you for the context of it. And Lord, we just pray that we would be safe in your arms. And Father, that the message of hope would ring loud from the churches. And that, Lord, we would heed you and not forsaking the assembly of the gathering of the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, again for our night tonight. In Jesus' name.